Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. And I'm John Hay, Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we told you about how the equity capital markets and the bankers in it were in fear of losing their jobs following an absolutely abysmal quarter for issuance. Well, this week we have good news. Firstly, there are still parts of the capital markets badly in need of staff. Isn't that right, John? Yeah, uh, financial institutions bonds, uh, funnily enough are doing very well at the moment. We'll be hearing more about that later from Richard Metcalf, our People and Markets editor, but there's definitely a need for staff there. And secondly, um, the equity capital markets might be about to stage something of a comeback with the revival of the initial public offering. But it's not quite as if we're fully off to the races just yet with new deals, is it, John? No. In fact, the market still hasn't got a deal. The last one in Europe of any size was VAR Energy, the Norwegian oil and gas assets from Eni, the Italian oil company, uh, which floated in February. Um, and since then, we've had the war in Ukraine, and that's put a complete stop to all IPO activity, which already was pretty rough uh, in the beginning of the year because of fears about inflation. But there is there is a pipeline of, of, of deals sort of slated for this year, isn't there? The biggest and uh, most illustrious of these will probably be the spin-off of Porsche uh, from Volkswagen. Um, but there are a number of companies that are talking about listing before the summer now, aren't they? Yeah. Um, the, the, we had a very interesting article this week by Aidan Gregory and Victoria Teeler, our equities reporters, about the IPO pipeline reviving. And um, this is this is a really a big change from from a f- just a few weeks ago when all bankers in the market pretty much in Europe were saying uh, it's dead. You know, the, there's there's no chance of doing anything. Investors just, just don't want to know um, with with markets so uncertain and the economy so unpredictable. Investors are focusing on on the assets they own and, you know, trying to manage risk and get rid of positions that they think could lose them money. Um, and, and they're not really up for considering new deals of completely fresh companies. But that is now starting to change. And th- there, there are three or four deals um, that, that, that are likely to come forward between May and the summer. And um, one of these I thought was particularly interesting, or at least the comment that was made about it was interesting, was... Um, a skincare company, Swiss skincare company called Galderma. Um, one of the comments that uh, Adrian, oh, sorry, that Aiden and Victoria teased out of their contacts this week was that people would buy a skin cream before they cancelled their uh, net, before they sort of signed back up to Netflix uh, again, um, which sort of shows how robust that 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 business is. So, is that the sort of quality of company that uh, that uh, is being talked about yes absolutely quality is is the key word which of course in equity markets has a specific meaning of being you know a company with with strong stable earnings and good market position and and preferably strong brand and um galderma is, is a very good example it, it belongs to eqt the the swedish private equity firm and and that's the kind of robust business that that is likely to come Another one is Acceleron, 
which is coming out of ABB, the Swiss-Swedish uh, engineering group. Um, it's their e-mobility division. And that um, as well is, is, a, is a hot prospect for, for, for the coming weeks. But, but bankers are saying that even these deals, which are among the stars of, of the clients they have to potentially bring deals for, are going to have to come at lower prices than they expected and probably in smaller sizes. Yeah, we should say there's also uh, any's renewables business, Plenitude, which um, given they've now given they're selling off the renewables and they've already sold off the uh, the polluting bit, makes me wonder what they're going to have left by the end of it. Um, and also um, Sanofi's pharmaceutical ingredients division, Euroappy. Now those those all four of those those companies being lined up also play into sort of quite big themes of uh, of recent times, don't they? Renewable energy, e-mobility, pharmaceuticals, and uh, obviously something of the quality of um, a skincare business, I suppose. Yeah, well, they're good. They're good businesses, definitely, and and and, and high quality ones. But <coughs> and and renewables, absolutely, it, it's it's a very strong um, story. You, investors all want um, ESG related assets, and renewables in particular are set to grow because uh, Europe is realizing that it, it can't be dependent on Russian oil and gas uh, as it has been. But um, in fact, Sanofi's deal. Um, will not be an IPO. They the, and and that's really because of the difficulty of the market this year. The companies decided to uh, instead just uh, spin the spin the company Euro Appy off to its shareholders. Um, but but equity capital markets bankers are still watching it, and and they believe some investors may take positions in the in the new company around the time it spun off. And. Um... I wonder. I mean, something must have changed, I guess, in investor attitudes that they that these companies are now considering coming to the market. Um, one of the interesting comments in the story I thought was from an investor who said he actually liked looking at IPOs in this kind of market rather than in the rampant IPO market of last year, and he said that was because. Uh, there are fewer buyers around to compete with, which in his his word uh, in his words made valuations more realistic, um, for which read cheaper, um, and I guess it also means there are more shares available for him to him to snaffle up. And is is that sort of a critical part of the puzzle now that the uh, a lot of these sort of um, I don't know heat has gone out of the market and uh, the, just these assets just look a lot more attractive to buy, and there's there's fewer people competing to get hold of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the big investors that play in IPOs in large size um, are, are very focused on value and making money out of their, their deals. And they, they, they complain and don't like it when, when there are too many deals, when the market's too hot and when um, you know, valuations get pushed up. They, they begin to get sensitive and sort of can, can get annoyed, um, even though they don't want to miss out on a hot deal if they they can quickly dump it if um uh you know they they believe it's been oversold um so 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 this these conditions for those that are willing to to come back into the market and we know that some of the big players are they they they're going to like it because it's a cool calm market there won't be many deals they'll be high quality and they'll be coming cheap which is exactly what they want now let's just uh, turn to bond markets for a second. Uh, there, there, um, there are pockets of uh, absolutely rampant activity, aren't there? And um, we've seen 
uh, across the sovereign, supranational and agency markets this week. Um, huge amounts of activity in, for example, issuing in dollars, um, but less so in euros. Um, and if we look at the financial institutions bond market, we can see there that uh, there's been a particular thing this week for banks and financial institutions from the US who pay for their debt in dollars. Um, they've had a, or they found a few opportunities to issue in euros, sterling and Swiss francs at an overall cost of funding cheaper than they can do in their home market. Um, and this, this uh, I, th I think this is particularly interesting because it, it shows how nimble issuers are going to have to become. And um, our colleague, Mike Turner, uh, wrote an interesting opinion piece on this, saying this is all driven by the differing pace of um, central bank monetary tightening. Yeah, I think I think the the comment that summed it up for me that Mike had from from one of his contacts was where you get fragmentation, you get opportunity. And, you know, we've we've talked quite a lot on the podcast this week, sorry, this year about how disrupted markets have been and will continue to be by fundamentally a, a, a big realignment of interest rates um, led by the dollar market. Um, but also uh, now by the war in in Ukraine. But um, so so that means it, it 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 can be very difficult for issuers and and if they if they bring a deal at the wrong time in the wrong format they can get a disappointing result even some of these very high quality uh, public sector borrowers but but what can also happen is pockets of opportunity open up and they can they can get a bit of a bonanza and that's what happened this week in dollars um, and and oddly. Um, some of the some of the investment bankers in the thick of this were actually puzzled as to why it was happening, even though they were the ones leading the deals and, and advising the clients on, on doing them. But we had Canada, KFW, the German agency and the Asian Development Bank all issue big deals in dollars between three and five billion dollars each. And this doesn't happen all the time. Dollar funding is only attractive to uh, big public sector borrowers like this. Uh, you know when conditions are right but they all got uh, very strong deals and it's not because the market is calm and stable it's been moving around a lot well yeah uh treasury yields of uh u.s treasury yields we should say which sort of underpin underpin this market they've they've gone way up to sort of uh recent recent all-time highs and that um meant that kfw the german policy bank we were talking about just now was able to issue a i think a three-year bond or was it a five-year bond but five anyway year. yeah five-year bond yeah with a three percent coupon and uh, that's uh, that's incredibly exciting to the ssa market and people like me and you um probably <laughs> less a less thrilling investment opportunity to most other people um but that's you know that's quite a quite a quite a thing um but of course uh, as soon as it appears it disappears and um not only have we had we come to that period from a spell where uh, doing deals in dollars have been quite tricky. In fact, we hadn't seen the sort of volumes we saw this week since January. Yeah. Um, but also now people are talking about um, that market switching over to issue in euros only next week without any sort of real talk of dollar mandates uh, yeah, at all. Absolutely. I mean, it, this, the, the word nimble is right. I mean, the the the. Um these advantages can can disappear as quickly as they appear um i mean in fact i think uh, just going back to the activity this week i think one of you you mentioned interest rates going up and the the 10 year us treasury is now yielding 2.94% that as of yesterday which is the highest it's been since 2018 and interestingly um the, even the real yield after inflation um is still negative 
but it's only minus 0.4%, which is the best it's been for investors since March 2020. And I think it's this, these these rises in yields are, are what can scare investors and make them nervous because if they buy into a deal and then yields suddenly jerk upwards, they, they lose money on, on a mark-to-market basis. But but also they but they do make new issues attractive to investors, and that's why they're, they're often willing to buy at tight spreads. Um, but I think the action in in SSAs is going to turn to uh, euros next week, and and there's two big sovereign deals expected. Uh, there might be Finland and Greece, which are expected to come, uh, you know, before too long. Yeah, and um, I, I think actually that that figure was minus zero point zero four percent. The uh... Sorry, but it, I guess I guess I say. yeah, yeah. But I guess the point the point is that you know people were buying. If we take KFW as another example again, people were buying those bonds at negative yields, uh, negative outright yields, let alone real yields, um, not that long ago. So uh, you know when you think of yeah. how much extra you're getting or how much less you're losing in real terms, then that's that's uh, that's attractive. Yeah, um, but in the in the financial institutions market, it, it, interestingly. The, it was euros which was getting all the all the focus this week, and um, and sterling, in fact. And we had the the U.S. banks, which have issued their results recently. They they always tend to come into the bond market just after doing that to do some funding with the fresh results for investors. And um, but but this time, they've they've come in in large size to the to the euro market. First Wells Fargo came on Tuesday with a 500 million pound um, six year bond. Um, and then Bank of America, the following day, brought two tranches of euros and one of sterling. Um, and, you know, which all ended up quite large. Um, and the interesting thing is that these issuers were getting tighter funding in euros and sterling than they could in their home market of dollars. And that's um, a kind of arbitrage that we discussed in the context of corporate issuers uh, in in a previous week. But um, but these these differences are, are quite juicy for the issuers. They were able to save between five and fifteen basis points on some of these tranches, and but they can also disappear quickly. And um, Goldman Sachs, for example, which came on Thursday. Um, had been expected to at least consider a euro deal and it dropped it. Um, some people said because Bank of America's deal had, had widened the market, um, but it did go ahead with a sterling. Yeah, well, there's a thing about um, US issuers in general, isn't it? We see this in the US corporate debt market and uh, among US banks too. They're happy to pay a bigger new issue premium um, than, say, their European counterparts to get a deal done. Um, and like you say, it's quite common for US banks once they come out of the blackout periods uh, surrounding their earnings announcements to hit all markets at once. Um, and certainly Bank of America did that. It did a couple of dollar deals in its home market this week and then followed up with uh, euros and sterling. And, and you know, bankers on those deals, or sorry, bankers in that market, but not on those deals, told us it paid bigger premium to do so. Uh, the problem the problem with that for other issuers, such as, I guess, Goldman Sachs, which may have been looking to repeat the same trick, was that by paying 
up to get that sort of volume of debt done, the billions that it did, uh, Bank of America sort of drove all other spreads wider, which sort of took away the advantage to Goldman Sachs, I guess, or others who may have been looking of, of coming in uh, in alternative currencies. Um, but it, but I think, you know, the point is that shows how quickly these, these opportunities can change at the moment. And so it's not all about um, just the volatility of the war in Ukraine. It's not necessarily all about central bank rate decisions either, but um, just just it shows how supply and demand in the primary capital markets uh, affects affects what other issuers can do. I think I think one other thing I would say about this is um, where these sort of opportunities are going to keep appearing and disappearing quickly. It really will favour the biggest and most sophisticated borrowers. That is those that have ready access to any number of markets you know issuers like kfw bank of america they can all access uh, any number of currencies at the drop of a hat really um whereas you have to think that if you're a say a smaller european bank with a much smaller funding requirement a much lower appeal to a smaller range of investors then you you won't have that you won't be able to take advantage of those opportunities certainly not very quickly um and so you might find you have many fewer pockets in which you can uh, issue issue yeah, debt absolutely yeah timing will be will be super important for those especially um peripheral european banks um which are which are always um ha have to be more careful about their funding mm. Um, now, John, you've uncovered something bright, shiny and new, uh, and it's called NAV lending. Um, why don't you tell us what that is? Well, net asset value lending. The, the funny thing is it's, it's actually bright, shiny and old. Um, it's been going on for a good 20 years um, in various forms. What this means is uh, banks and, and investors lending money, usually in private loans, to funds of all kinds. And they, they can be hedge funds, private equity funds so-called fund of funds, uh, specialist funds that invest in secondary um, participations in private equity. Um, but this has all been a sort of rather quiet market that's gone on in the background. But there's, but there's a sudden burst of interest in a particular part of it, which is lending to individual private equity firms, such as KKR, Carlyle, CVC, or, and, and, and their like. Um, and and what what it is is um, extending a loan not to the individual companies that these uh, private equity firms buy in leverage buyouts, which of course uh, goes on all the time, but but a special loan that is that is sized according to the net asset value of a portfolio of 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 company investments, and what that means essentially is the value of all these companies minus their debt. So it's it's the sort of latent value in the portfolio i have a question about this uh, because uh private equity funds obviously they they raise their money um from what are called these limited partners that is to say you know anyone with a pot of dosh that wants to invest yeah. it in the private yeah. equity equity company and one of the things we've been hearing about for years and years now is how much what's called dry powder these yeah. private equity companies yeah. have they're sitting on mountains of cash they don't know what to do with why on earth do they need to borrow money it is it is interesting and, and a bit puzzling, isn't it? I think I think the the important thing to think about is that this dry powder is divided into specific funds, and you you raise a new a new fund. It takes quite a long time, a couple, sometimes a couple of years, to raise a, a private equity or debt fund, 
and then um, that money is 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 there in that fund for that fund to invest. But you you've got another fund, an older one that you invested before, and that fund doesn't have dry powder because it has invested its money. So that th th these loans are being made to to funds that essentially are fully invested. And the point of them really is two things. Uh, well, there are, there are more than that, but there are particularly two things. One is that towards the end of a fund's life, uh, it, it has to realise its investments. And that means ultimately sell the, the companies in its portfolio. And by borrowing money against the net asset value, it can actually pay money out to its investors, the limited partners, early. Uh, before necessarily realizing all of these investments and that gives it extra flexibility and it means it can the investors are happy because they get their money early which on a since uh, returns are calculated over time it, on paper it's a higher return but there is another uh, reason and we, this is the one which the specialists in the market emphasize which is uh, actually putting more money into the companies in the portfolio so during their life, the, the fund might have owned them for three or four years. And if an attractive acquisition opportunity comes up for that, some of these portfolio companies to buy competitor businesses, um, they, they can do that. Um, and, and it's a sort of flexible way to, to enable that, even in difficult market conditions. And what are the lenders getting out of this? Do these do these loans return a margin much higher than they could get elsewhere? Well, the the this is a, a good example of an uncrowded market. Um, there are not that many players in it. There's a there's a handful of banks, and there are there are some investment funds that are starting to do it. Most of them sporadically, but we were writing this week about two that do it now in a concerted way. One is Seventeen Capital, which has been doing it since two thousand and eight. And there's another called Pemberton Asset Management, which have recently hired somebody to build a dedicated strategy for this. And the because there's less competition, the returns on these loans are, are really good. And they reckon that the risk is lower than actual uh, direct lending um, and even uh, ordinary secu senior secured leverage loans, though the returns are higher. And that's a sort of very much a sweet spot. I suppose because you're not tied into one particular business, like the credit risk of one particular business, you're exactly. tied into the sort of portfolio, yeah. Ideas, right? Yeah, you yeah. get the diversity of a portfolio. Now, these portfolios are not necessarily very diverse. They might only be six or seven uh, companies in some cases. And that's not like the 40 or so you get in a collateralized loan obligation. But um, nevertheless, um, there is diversity and you are also lending <coughs> to the private equity fund itself. So the private equity fund manager is highly incentivized to make sure you get repaid because the own the value it, it will extract itself only comes after that. Is there recourse, not to get too deep in the weeds, but um, is there recourse to the private equity company rather than just the fund? Um, in the event that the loan is not paid back, it depends on on the on the deal. Um, in the classic one where the loan is extended to the fund, no, but it, but the these loans are also used to lend directly to the private equity fund management companies, um, 
which is a sort of even more specialist part of it and that is usually to finance the um the the money that the private equity fund management company itself puts into the fund why is this market so uncrowded uh, banks have whole teams to deal with what they term sponsors that is private mm. equity companies yeah they fall over themselves to do business with them meanwhile we often hear from the loan market that they don't get enough business to do so yeah. why 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 are banks not already all over this that's a very good question um i think um i only have a partial answer to that but it, i think one of the reasons is i mean it is it is a specialist and and quite high risk uh type of lending the, the the participants of course don't call it high risk but they are you know from the sort of direct lending world and they they're comparing it with other leveraged investments but for a bank you know it's towards the high end of the risk spectrum and and the, and i think the positions need to be quite large so one source said to me that um, even if the bank can get its head round doing the loans from a kind of risk point of view and capital, it, it's just quite a large position to hold on balance sheet. And what banks are now, you know, more generally do is is originate assets and distribute them. Um, and you know, so for example, in leveraged loans, there's a, there's a big institutional market they can place the loans with, and um, they don't have to hold that much actually on the balance sheet. And because that big distribution isn't there with these loans they you know it's more difficult for the banks to to hold them right okay that's interesting we'll see how that develops um so speaking of how banks fund themselves um as you said there's been a or there will be uh, a huge uptick in that activity and uh we spoke to richard metcalf our people and markets editor about how that is affecting hiring in the capital markets Hello, Richard. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Ralph. Good to be here. Um, you've written an interesting story this week, along with a, a couple of our colleagues, um, about the sudden need to hire bankers in uh, the financial institutions bond market. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on and why there's a sudden need for uh, what we shall hereafter refer to as fig bankers? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean... Hiring activity was a big story last year across the uh, capital markets, but especially in uh, equity capital markets and uh, M&A advisory as well was quite quite a hot area last year. Um, so what's happened this year um, is that the the amount of activity going on in the capital market seems to have shifted slightly um, and there's less uh, need for uh, the bankers that were in high demand last year. So, um, you know, we've actually, we, we wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about um, how they were actually now in equity capital markets worrying about layoffs. Um, but I was speaking to uh, some re recruiters um, who specialize in, uh, you know, financial services recently. And uh, they told me that that now the the area where um, banks are really you know kind of competing for staff is um, uh, fig, uh, as as we just said, and um, the reasons for that are there, there's been a bit of an uptick, um, especially in the first quarter of this year in um, in issuance from financial institutions, 
Um, and uh, I suppose there's, there's, a, there's a few reasons for that. Um, but, um, you know, it's things like the, um, th there were a lot of sort of emergency forms of funding that, um, that people like the European Union and, and the Bank of England extended to banks during the pandemic. Uh, and those are starting to be withdrawn now. Um, at the same time, people are expecting interest rates to go up, which um, if you're lending money, and that's the core business of banks, um, in theory, that, that may make your business more profitable. Um, they've also, um, uh, yeah, so it, 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 generally speaking, the, the outlook um, from what I'm hearing for, for issuance from the, from the fixed sector is pretty good for the rest of this year and possibly, hopefully, long, longer term, they're hoping. It's, it's always all about central banks, isn't it? Um, the thing is, you know, this, this has been coming down the tracks for a long, long time. Why is there? Why are banks only scrambling for staff now? This, this surely, you know, they surely could have uh, done a bit beforehand and presumably saved themselves having to scrap over a few meager resources at the moment. Well, uh, yeah, your point about it being predictable is uh, is a very good one, and that was that's one that was that was brought up in our reporting, um, with, with particular regard to the covered bond market where <clears throat> issuance levels have been particularly subdued recently due to the uh, emergency funding programs that I mentioned earlier. Um, but, I, but I suppose the, the, the you know, ba banks try to adjust um, to, to market conditions. And, and I suppose if, if it was harder to justify last year having, having a big team not doing very much, um, you know, I, I mean, they may they may also um, you know re reallocate junior staff as well from from one area to another as um, as the needs of the business change. But um, I, I suppose one one you know one one thing that may be carrying over from last year is just that there there's a lot of people moving around and considering their options, and so um, you know gaps may open up for that reason. Um, and and there just seems to be still still quite a high turnover. Although I'm told by you know heads of debt capital markets that attrition in the first quarter of this year was was nowhere near as bad as the, as the same time last year. Richard, there's an interesting contrast though, isn't there, between some of these areas? Because uh, our cover bond expert Bill Thornhill, I think, was saying that cover bonds, though it's a specialist product, has ceased to have specialist bankers on the whole and th these bonds are arranged by general fig bankers since it's the same clients banks that issue all these different products um, but but on the other hand securitization is an area that that is adjacent to fig but where you definitely need specialist staff don't you well, well, that's right and, and I think um, yeah I mean to, to the point about covered bond specialists um, yeah, I think, as I understand it, that there, there are still some sort of research analysts who specialise in covered bonds. But um, but yeah, I think I think the actual sort of um, primary you know, origination and stuff is handled by FIG, or I think in some cases SSA bankers as well, because it tends to be a you know a very highly rated product comparable to to those rates. But yeah, securitisation obviously is an area which requires. Um, a certain amount of specialized expertise and structuring and it and it is you know 
um, has its own niche there. And actually, that's one area where we we heard that the demand for um, staff was still producing as a result upward pressure on salaries, um, especially for people who are, as I said earlier, switching jobs um, in, 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 you know, w- with the high turner of at the moment, you can, you can, you can get a big pay rises. As, as well, let's get that. down to, let's get down to brass tax then, Richard. Um, how much, how much are we talking about? Well, a recruiter that, uh, that our, our colleague Tom Lemon spoke to told him that, um, in some cases people were getting as much as a 50 or 60% increase in their, uh, salary in, in, he was talking about securitization. Um, and that's just base salary, not including bonuses um so that's quite a big bump up for you know someone you know it's i mean you can see why people would switch jobs if that's the sort of um raise you can get that's at the more sort of junior um level but i think uh they said even for 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 someone at a more senior level director um you could still get you know an 18 percent bump up in your salary for for moving so um, that's obviously going to be driving the the churn to continue in uh, in sought after areas. Does, do we have any examples of any sort of absolute numbers rather than the percentages? Yeah, we did. I mean, the recruiter said, and uh, he, he he did he did it insert a caveat that it depends on the specific role. But we did manage to get some some specific numbers out of him. Um, he said, uh, you know, someone with three years experience um, that could have been on. Uh, you know, seventy-five thousand pounds a year before the, the salary, move. That is, yeah. Salary, base salary. They may have gone up to, therefore, sort of, you know, ninety k after moving, which is, um, you know, really going to help with the cost of living crisis. It certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, and does that mean securitisation is expected to boom as well this year? Yeah, it's um, it's one of the areas that that is expected to to make a bit of a comeback um as a result again of um those those super cheap funding options from from central banks being gradually withdrawn um or, although you know banks have a lot of funding options still covered bonds are very attractive um and and we've seen banks um you know funding up and down the 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 capital stack we've seen american banks after the after they've announced their earnings um, last week, um, ra- raising capital, uh, regulatory capital, and also here in Europe, uh, senior capital, as I think you've, you've, you'll be discussing elsewhere in the podcast. So a look there at the rising and falling fortunes of some parts of the capital markets and indeed its uh, its participants. Um, thank you very much to John and Richard for joining me to record this podcast and to Gerald Hayes, our producer, for stitching it all together. We'll be back with more from the capital markets next week. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>